Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of Invino. Um, I'm joined, as usual, by our sommelier, Mark, um, but we have some special guests today. Unfortunately, Pat's not with us, but we have um, Brendan and Noah from Unico Zello. Yeah. Hey, guys. Hey, how you doing? Morning. Afternoon. Afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like morning. Yes, yes it does. <laughs> we still got coffees in hand. Yes. Happy Saturday. Woo-hoo. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So, you guys um, are from um, Unico Zello. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, the winery and kind of what you guys are doing to begin with so our audience sure. get to know you? Um, so, yeah, we're based up in uh, Adelaide Hills. Uh, we specialize in um, looking at and entertaining sort of different wine styles and wine varieties that um, uh, inherently don't actually have a, a large natural draw on, on resources. So, um, essentially looking at dry farmed or dry growing grapes um, as far-fetched as the Riverland, which is, a, I would say, the... The, the driest, hottest place we grow grapes on as like a human race. Um, but trying to grow them, you know, very, very sustainably and turn it into really tasty wine. Wonderful. So what originally, like, how did you get into becoming a winemaker? Because I think a lot of the things we're talking about in this podcast are kind of introducing people to Australian wine, Australian winemakers and what, what, it, what it's all about. And so I suppose like for someone who is a wine lover, someone who's interested in it, how do you actually take those first steps? Um, well, look, there's a couple of different avenues that you can you can go down. Uh, you can certainly study winemaking. Um, we've got we we do have one of the best universities in the world for 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 winemaking. Um, or you can go down the other path, which is actually learn by doing, um, becoming a cellar hand, getting your hands dirty during. It's sort of like I like to sort of like doing a season in the mines. Uh, you know, go into a vintage somewhere. It's you know your back breaking work. Uh, it's it's very much I would call blue collar work. You know, it's but it's wickedly fun. Yeah. Um, and that's you know, and it's got an end date you know so you you slam yourself for about three months and you'll learn more in that three months about wine and winemaking than than i think you could do in sort of like a lifetime of the floor as a som but that's the other really great way to be able to get into wine i think is actually looking at from um you know the the storytelling narrative and and customer service perspective yeah uh, absolutely because i think at the end of the day like uh, winemakers uh it's often kind of slightly more glorified but basically it is farming I think uh, I think it was like so it's it's ninety nine percent pushing heavy shit around uh, and one percent cleaning. <laughs> I think I think the cleaning percentage is a little bit higher. Yeah, <laughs> especially us. We've top run a tight ship. The girls in the cellar run a very squeaky clean ship. Yeah, so we're a little bit unique in the fact that um, so it was started by my wife and I uh, around about a decade ago. Um, but recently, so <laughs> my wife became a better winemaker than me, which wasn't really hard. <laughs> and then she kicked me out of the cellar. Um, nice. And for the last year, we've had a um, um, uh, an all-female winemaking team, which of course means that um, in the last year we haven't actually broken anything in the cellar. Um, <laughs> lowers our cost of goods, and that yeah, makes me very you're happy. You're the second best winemaker in your family. So, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah two of two. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a big sign in the cellar now that just says "No boys allowed" <laughs> with, a, with a backwards Z. Honestly, and it was yeah, one of the most amazing great. things. I think we're like halfway through vintage, and I've got this awesome photo somewhere of, of Laura, and she's like holding one tank with one hand, and it's like being tilted, and she's got like a, a, a hose going into it 
pumping wine out, like racking it off, which is sort of like just taking the, the clean sort of wine off the top uh, and putting it into another. And she's like on one leg balancing, preventing and holding up the hose from getting basically an air pocket into the pump, which wow. would kill the whole thing. And I'm like, I just don't... I can't do that. <laughs> I don't know Venus anyone. That, thank God, it was amazing. Yeah. No flexibility there. It's just nuts. So, is a lot of your focus then out in the out in the fields, out of the vineyards, growing? Very much. So, um, we, we've struck a really great balance between uh, my wife and myself. Uh, I think I've actually got the best job in the world, and she actually thinks she's got the best job in the world. But <laughs> she's wrong, That's good. and I'm right. Um, <laughs> but um, no. So, I've I do a lot more of the agricultural based stuff uh, outside of the winery. I've got a distillery that looks at um, uh, utilizing and monetizing native Australian ingredients, and I found a lot of um, sort of passion for me surrounding that, working with indigenous, indigenous communities and farmers. Uh, and then I'll, on the flip side, I get to do this sort of stuff, the promotion. Uh, yeah. And so I feel like I get a, a really, f- this is my dream job really, um, connecting people to farmers and farmers to people. Uh, and Laura's got her dream job, which is actually the, the actual creation process, bringing everything together. And we come up at, at, with ideas as, as a team. Yeah. Uh, it's very much a, a you know, dirty M word, the millennial you know, style of, of yep. business, flat hierarchical structures, etc. We're like almost like the Google of wine spirits. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's, it's such a it's a good, it's a good environment where everyone has a valid opinion, no matter what. Like sometimes yeah. it'll go. I will say, how about we put ten percent of that blend in that wine, and they'll be like, that's actually the best way to to taste it. And Sweet then we created system. that new wine. And then our newest like, wine <laughs> is so it's like I'm the the guy who's responsible for the marketing stuff, but. It's ten percent. That was like my idea. It's like, yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. Every, 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 everything gets listened and heard yeah. to. And um, but yeah, no, it's you know she gets to to, to be able to sort of create that. Yeah, cool. Make it happen. Yeah. So no, no, now when, now whenever you drink that wine, you can be like, that was ten percent me. Exactly. <laughs> literally, <laughs> uh, every it's, it's probably yeah, zero, zero, a few more zeros in front of the, front of that one. But yeah, look, I'm happy that I got one decision in the in the process of that one. So yeah, yeah very it's, cool. and it's delicious. Um, very, very cool. So talking about I suppose uh, interesting kind of lead in with the millennial idea mm. of, of winemaking. I think a lot of the things that um, Mark and I are really excited about is is kind of the newer methods uh, of mm-hmm. kind of making wine. Natural wines is something yep. that's like a buzzword that's thrown around. So sure. you guys are making like fairly low intervention, wild yeah. fermented, uh, no like low additive wines does that make them natural is that kind of what mm, oh yeah well, so how long do you have yeah um, like, <laughs> well, what's, that, the, that is, what's the definition of natural wine well, is the, is correct the issue. and yeah. look in, in my opinion it's, it's a bit of a catch-22 so uh natural wine movement was a massive zeitgeist against commoditized wine i yep. think we see this across the broader sort of artisan movement in every industry um Fortunately or unfortunately, we utilised the term natural, you know, to, to, to yeah. describe something that is inherently not. And I think this is where the semantics of English language just really get in the, the way <laughs> of, of a really what I think to be is actually a very, very good movement. Um, but that said, you know, a lot of the pundits from that particular movement are like, you know, don't look at the numbers, don't make wine by the numbers, make wine by sort of intuition. And then go ahead with, say, things like Raw Wine Fair, which is a, a, a massive wine fair in the UK. Um, and even indeed inside Australia, we start putting numbers to these things anyway. Like, oh, you're not natural unless you're below 50 milligrams per litre sure. of sulphur. And like, yeah, but that's just sulphur. There's so many other things yeah. involved. Yeah. That, you know, there's tannin additions. What, you know, is it additions of any kind? Is it biodynamics or is it organics? How are they treating it in the vineyards? Are, are we talking about have to be hand harvested or machine harvested? There's just so many different things that, that work in the way. And so I think this is where this use of the term minimal intervention is really coming. I think yeah. that really ratifies exactly what everyone wants to see. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, wine for us in, in our view is not dissimilar to things like really well-made sort of coffee, tea or chocolate and the fact that it can actually link someone to a place. And I think that's what we all want. We yeah. want, we want really, yeah, provenance. Provenance is absolutely key to, I think, truly great wine. Um, but that's not to actually, and this is the other big thing and I think we're just try, trying to get through at the moment is an understanding that commoditized wine is okay. Yeah, right. Mm. 
you know, Wednesday night wine is okay. We need that. Yeah. You know, you, you can't have artisan cola without Coke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't, you need to have a dichotomy there because not everyone is as closely linked to our product as we are. Yep. I think this is where it's not, you know, the next progression of, in terms of certainly like a millennial point of view or perspective on, on wine is less so now about, um, imposing our philosophical views, but li- actually listening to customers and considering what do, what do they want and what can we feasibly um, actually create from a landscape that is quite marginal yeah. whilst keeping everything in balance. That is the caveat. That is the thing that sort of locks us in place is we, we live on what is geologically the most ancient plot of dirt that human beings live on today. Yeah. Uh, and working in an agricultural manner to create a an inherently consistent and reliable product out of that is is very difficult um, with with the way that we're making a lot of wines at the moment. This is where the natural wine movement or the its cousin, the um, uh, uh, alternative variety movement, yeah, uh, certainly assist in that. Well, I, th- I think it's I think it's interesting as well with that kind of relatability of wine. Is that like for for me personally, I I actually came to wine fairly late. I haven't been a, a wine lover for that long but mm-hmm. when I became one I was like got really really quickly into it but the truffle hound the wine that you guys yeah. make was actually one of the ones that, that really made me take that step forward with it was that I had a lot of the wines that I've been introduced to especially through my parents and when I was younger were really kind of hard to get into wines so those were these really kind of uh, wow. big big bold big, bold wines Reds. things that I just couldn't connect with and then interesting I had uh, through Baydecker and Mark when I started going there I had the truffle hound and I was like wow this is so drinkable I can just I can just drink this and then suddenly that opened me up to now I do actually quite like some bigger bolder wines and stuff but I, yep. it, was, it allowed me to take that step of that relatability that kind of little connection that went this that's is drinkable I, th- I think that's the yeah. joy of what I work as a, as a consumer I was a fan of Unico before I started working for Unico yeah. that's really the cool thing and and I have the exact same experience but it was with Jane and Jasper it was with a white mm. wine yeah. um, so I think for, for us I think that's a great the great thing is that we have a, an approachable price point and a, a really consistent product that's really really good and does and is made in the right way that gets new people into this modern kind of trend of winemaking this new mm. way of wine that we see in Australia and then you'll get onto other winemakers like and that was a really mates. intentional thing like when we yeah. first started up um, you know we were we started everything when we were all 19 years old right um, you know so ten, 10 years on um, you know it's it's a very 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 different um, you know uh, environment for, for wine purchases these days um, for us at the time like we had we were looking at our mates and all of our mates had 20 bucks this is in like the just the beginnings of the natural wine movement um, and um, you know we had the originals I call them the OGs so we had like Yalma Shaw Brook, Anton, they were doing epic stuff uh, in Basket Range, Adelaide, Adelaide Hills. Crazy cool. And they mm. broke down a lot of barriers for people, but the wines, unfortunately, were quite inaccessible, uh, price point-wise, to people in their 20s. Um, yep. So people had 20 bucks a bottle retail, you know, to be able to flash on, on a bottle of wine. And all the offerings at that time were were quite what I would call lactone-rich, so very oaky or very extracted, um, low-acid wines. And I actually, like, at the time, they were the wines that were easier to get into because I'm more more simple, more basic. Um, And our sort of hypothesis was, well, what if the tables were turned? You know, these guys that were discovering wines that were like lactone rich, then eventually when they wanted to move across and gravitate towards a natural wine, um, you know, they would find wines that were very, um, you know, very acetic, a little bit funky, um, you know, uh, got a little, maybe a bit of influence from things like Britannomyces. uh, And they'll be very unforgiving of that wine style because they're very foreign. Yeah. Um, so we thought, well, what if you flipped on its head and there was like a, a basically a natty wine that was 20 bucks a bottle um, and they could discover wine through that path. I wonder if when they found the soupy, rich, heavy extracted red that they might have that same gag reflex that they yeah. were having 
initially <laughs> discovering it, you know, in the opposite channel. So it's fascinating that you actually say that because it's a very intentional thing for us to be able to sort of pick that price point. And at the time, like we, there was plenty of natural wine guys, like the pundits at the time, other producers that didn't like the fact that we came out at a, at a very approachable price point. They thought we were um, degrading the, the brand equity of, of brand natural. And, and in, indeed, we also were never um, uh, dogmatic enough to be able to go, oh yeah, we're natural. It's, it wasn't yeah. about that. Yeah, it yeah, was about, you well, never advertise that or no no it's never been about that it's been more about getting the the um the narrative back to land uh and responsible winemaking and reasonable winemaking yeah. i agree with the natural movement and and but i would i would certainly not say uh in 2016 hot dry arid year um yeah we acidified truffle hound there was no other way around it sure or send out a really shit wine and then a whole bunch of people aren't going to want to drink wine like we, we want to see more wine drinkers not less wine drinkers um so it's no very fascinating yeah, yeah so I, I think it's, it's cool as well that you can look at the complete other end of the, uh, the spectrum and some of the world's greatest wines, such as uh, Romney Conti and Burgundy, mm-hmm. actually have a, a very similar kind of minimal intervention. For almost sure. By, almost organic kind of... But Pinot is uh, perfectly suited for that. Yeah. Like, that's how they can do that. Sure, right. You know, we, we, we are yet to get to a point where we're being respondent to our environment. We're being respondent to the market at the moment. People want Shiraz, so we plant Shiraz. I, I, I do consultancy for, for a lot of growers. And they'll come in and say, hey, you know, what, what should we be planting here? We look at climatic data, we look at rainfall rates, degree days, sunlight hours, the whole kit and caboodle, and determine that they should plant Blaufrankisch. And the grower looks at me and goes, oh, yeah, no, cool, thanks for that, man. But um, <laughs> I was more hoping you'd just tell me how I can plant Shiraz here. And so that involves them like, look, you can plant Shiraz there, but you would need to add in X amount of lime, you need to till the, the, you know, the soil horrendously, you need to have X amount of water license available for bores and stuff like that. Uh, so you, you're really in a, in, a, in a very loose way of saying you're really terraforming um, at that point, uh, not being really respondent to, to the land. And you know, at that point where you're having to irrigate so much to keep vines alive that really shouldn't be, um, you, what rocks up to the winery is a, basically a, a bunch of grapes with a set of numbers. We look at things like pH, tartaric acidity, uh, titratable acidity and whatnot, and alcohol contents to determine whether or not we can actually make natural wine with that. Cool. So when you, when you like, um, for example, with the truffle hound, when you chose to go, okay, we're going to go Nebbiolo Barbera, were they, were they choices made on what, what grows best in, in that area? Not necessarily. No, not, not in that instance, yeah. but um, uh, for Fiano and Nero Davila or Nero, um, yeah, Nero, certainly that was a very conscious decision. Uh, we were working with another grower, a guy called Ashley Ratcliffe, a uh, very, very important guy to, to the Australian wine industry. Um, and uh, looking at Fiano and Nero, Nero in a place that gets 150 mil around a year and, you know, 50 degrees, I mean, 52 in the vineyard this year. Wow. Um, and these vines are just thriving yeah. with a fraction of the water or indeed no water uh, in the same area that, you know, other grape vines are getting, you know, 10 to 15 megs per litre. You know, two and a half megs is an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Oh. And that's, sorry, megs per hectare. And so you look at the average size of some of these vineyards, they're upwards of 1,000 hectares in size, and they're pumping, you know, 15 megs per hectare. You know, we're wondering why we don't have water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, if, if we, and, I, and this, that was the, the, the big thing that we did with Unico and, and sort of stretched it to the nth degree now with Applewood is um, we're going to run out of water. It's, it's just like, we're going to run out of water. And it's these people that are forcing the process as opposed to working with the land. Totally. But we can present them with a viable alternative. It's not about going up to these guys and, you know, getting the, the pickets out and going, you know, thou shalt not. It's, hey guys, just redirect. The issue, we don't have actually now an agricultural issue. We have a marketing issue. We, people, if, if everyone just started drinking 
Fiano and stop drinking. And I'm not saying stop drinking Shiraz. I just want to make that really clear. <laughs> <laughs> you totally should. Mm-hmm. I, it's just we vastly overestimate the amount of truly great sites we have yep. in really warm areas for grapes that inherently should be planted in cooler areas. Um, you know, so uh, uh, as well as obviously with a much warming climate, uh, being very aware uh, of this and, and getting a foot on it. But I, th- I actually think, you know, Neradavla, for example, we've actually found a great variety that Australia is too cold to ripen. Right. That gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, that's cool. You know, so now we're going to be able to see, you know, it's always on the fringes, mar- you know, marginal climates. We get to see the most interesting wines being made. So it's, it's good to know that if, if the climate does warm and we run out of water and everything gets a bit arid, we can still have good wine. <laughs> Southern <laughs> Tasmanian narrow. Yeah, yeah, we can still drink Unico. <laughs> it's all good. Unico's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unico will be the last existing winery. Yeah. <laughs> and the long beacon game. of hope. So yeah, the long game. Aquaponic vineyard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, touching, touching on the narrow. Um, so I've I've had a couple of different um, narrows from from Unico, mm-hmm. and something that I found interesting is like every, when I was when I first had one, I was so kind of taken aback by it because the first narrows I had were classic Italian ones. They were really rich, heavy. They were extracted. rich. They were bold. Yeah. yeah. And then I had this one. I remember I decanted it uh, because I was just expecting it to to need <laughs> to be this heavy thing, and then I pulled it out and I was like, oh wow, this yeah. is like actually really light and refreshing and yeah, so funny, juicy. Well, what are the, yeah, yeah, exactly. So what are the choices you make there to go, we're going to make it like this? Is that because of the land or is that a choice that you're making for the consumer? Oh, yeah, great question. Um, so essentially, look, to be able to preface the entire thing, I've never had a truly great wine that hasn't been made in a way that um, you shouldn't sort of drink, like shouldn't not drink right next to where those vines grow. Okay. So Barolo tastes best in Barolo, Burgundy tastes best in Burgundy. Uh, and if we ever look at the raft of what Australian wines we actually make inside Australia, I'd actually argue that um, Australia is largely the last place I'd want to drink them. Uh, because we are hot, we are a yeah. majority red wine, uh, you know, producer by fair whack. Uh, most of those red wines are very rich, very extracted, um, and I'm particularly at the commodity end of the spectrum. Things are gradually changing. Um, so, if you, for example, go up to the Riverland, uh, which is classified desert, you, which is oddly enough quite famous for making very extracted reds, like it doesn't make a lot of sense from a consumer's perspective. No. In fact, the perfect desert island wine should either be crafted on a desert island or at least a desert-like place, <laughs> you know, because it, it would inherently yeah. be crafted with or selected for higher acidity because it's a little bit, you know, uh, thirst slaking. Uh, it would tend not to be rich or, or dense. It would be lighter and more ethereal. Um, so we we locked in a few... There's a few sort of key decisions for us, but the most key one for like, ultimately is actually no irrigation. And with no irrigation, we start to see an impact of, of climate a lot more to flavour development in the berries. So, um, you know, inherently... We would need to do actually technically a lot more to Neradavala vines in the Riverland if we wanted to make an extracted red. Okay. It's actually much easier to make a light red. Um, so things like we don't need, it's, it's what we don't need to do. We don't need to do Salasso. We don't need to do uh, uh, what we call partial root zone drying to, to concentrate berry flavour development. Uh, we don't need to do crop thinning. We don't do any of that. And what ends, what we end up getting because of not doing any of those things is actually a lighter more elegant frame of a wine that is more respondent to its area yeah um yeah so that we treat it we basically treat it like pinot we treat it uh, or like more like gamay yeah sure i think sure. i think that's really interesting when you're talking about the areas because i had an experience recently my, my brother travels all around the world a lot and he, he loves wine and when he was in australia when he was first kind of uh, exploring wine and starting to buy nicer wines he was drinking basically just central otago pinot noir that Killer. was all he was drinking in Brisbane. Then he went to Canada. 
Yeah. <laughs> then he went to Canada. I know your brother. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be he, friends. He, he went to Canada and he um <laughs> and he literally the, when he got to Canada started drinking uh, Penfolds and big Australian Shirazes and stuff yep. in the cold climate. Yep. And I think that's a really interesting point. Yeah, that's that fine. It's like when you're here, you don't necessarily want to drink the super heavy in the heat. For sure. And I, again, it's not um you know because I've been misinterpreted before. Like I would love. I'll just shout out now. I'd love to do a collab with Penfolds. <laughs> that would be oh the most God, badass yeah, be thing. So sick. How sick would that be? <sighs> I would love to do a collab with Penfolds. Well, when so we low. get the head winemaker of Penfolds on the podcast, <laughs> we'll Peter let them Gago, know. Let's get Peter Gago, let's get cross Unico. Like Harley Board just had a stroke. We could do like a grand yeah. style blend. Because we do, this, we yeah. do often make a lot more wines. Uh, and okay, you know that that is a really good point to make. We're in, I think, it was an eighty or an eighty-five percent export industry. Um, you know, if you owned a wine bar and eighty-five percent of your customers wanted Sauvignon Blanc, you'd be a fool for not offering of Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Um, you know, eighty-five percent of our customers typically live in places that are colder. Than here um, and we do a very 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 good job at being able to cater for that need but wine isn't a vacuum you know it is a very diverse and dynamic industry and we need all forms we need commoditized wines we need wines that cater for for export clients to keep you know I can only now go to the states and actually tell our story because like I said I have I have another story to that, that's backing me up which is well, Australia has this rich her- heritage. Um, it's had Penfolds, it's had Wolfblast, it's had a great fortified wine heritage. And that, you know, we are really standing on the shoulders of giants. I think that shouldn't go without saying, you know. Um, so that's fine. It's just, again, I probably wouldn't be sitting in the middle of the Riverland drinking Penfolds wine, but I'm pretty confident they know that. I'm pretty <laughs> confident they're okay with that. Yeah, sure. Um, but that's where we see a niche that can be catered for. So I, I think that's an interesting point as well with Penfolds and some of the kind of larger Australian producers. Um, they can occasionally get a bit of a bad rap for selling kind of bulk amounts of wine and, and this kind of the ways of doing that. Do you think that um, they're kind of like they have actually led the way for you to be able to do what you've done though? Sure, like yeah. with, with those? Yeah, oh, yeah. man. Oh, dude. Uh, one of our most popular wines is Esoterico, which is yeah. a, a skin contact. Yeah, we um, like it. Someone said it was like, it's like a Nipa, like a New England IPA yeah. to drink when you're not drinking a New England IPA. Yeah, I work, um, I work with Mark at Baydecker <laughs> and, and I think that's the easiest sell for me is uh, especially in the garden bar when yeah. it's getting warmer out there. Every time someone kind of doesn't really know what they want, I'm like, have you seen this before? Oh, well, <laughs> and they, just, they just can't. Are you ready yeah. to have your face melted? At oh. <laughs> Uh, amazing, like amazing fact. We are ready. You will like this. So uh, that that particular variety, for example, uh, is, is Zabibo. Zabibo yep. in Australia, we actually have a really um, stupid synonym for it that we created called Fruity Gordo. Zabibo, <laughs> uh, yeah. And it goes into this like lovely goon. product. Well, <laughs> it, go, it is Fruity Lexia. Oh. Yeah. Wow. So we've all actually tried. Yeah, make, the elaborate ruse. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so oh, we couldn't. Back. I can't make a Soterico. Without 1945 planted bush vines, a bebo dry grown in the desert. Um, that went indeed to create the box wine industry. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I know. This is the thing that a lot of people don't, don't talk enough about. I don't know how quite I feel often. right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel, I feel, he's, well, he's I, actually, I'm actually thinking that 18 year old me was a genius. That's what yes. I'm thinking right now. Because yes. I was drinking a shitload of fruity Lexi when I, I was it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember in my. Um, you know, I grew up grew up in Brisbane, yeah. uh, and I remember in my era, people were just you know neck and smirn off double blacks. Yeah. Mm. We graduated a lot of those you know kids to Sauvignon Blanc drinkers. That's a good thing. Mm. You know, the fact that people were drinking you know cask wine, bulk wine. Look, sure, it's not single vineyard Pinot Noir, and it's not a hundred percent whole bunch Grenache. Totally cool though. <laughs> One day, maybe they might be into that. Yeah, but you know, different horses for courses. Um, 
Yeah, free love for all wine. I think why, in, in particular because we have an opportunity to, to, to raise the narrative and link people back to land. At the end of the day, we're not trying to save the world. We're just trying to bring people together. Yeah, great. Well, I think that's actually a pretty a pretty good point to, to wrap it up. I think that's um, we've kind of nailed the, the whole roundabout there of <laughs> what, what, what we believe about wine. Yeah. Um, Love Penfolds, Collab, Fritty yeah. Lexia. Great. Yeah. 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 So, like a Grange style so, blend that's yeah. cross truffle hound. Same colours. Same, same colours. It's all good. We're ready to go. So yeah. what we'll do is we'll do a Penfolds Unico cask wine. Is that what we're saying? It's done. Yeah. Oh God, that'd be Platinum fun. Watch cask. this space. Platinum plated cask. Yeah, love it. Love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'll just... Uh, of course, we always like to thank our um, our sponsor um, at Invino Different Drop. Um, yeah. Love those guys. Good supporters of us too. Yeah, yeah they, yeah, they stock you. your, your guys' wines. Some of the places I was able to buy it earlier mm-hmm. on as well, which is great. Um, but yeah, they've got um, on board and supported the podcast. You can uh, hit their website up, differentdrop.com. And uh, if you sign up and make an account, you get a discount code where you can buy um, mix packs or whatever you want to pick from there. And they offer a really awesome range of yeah, interesting- Yeah, our friends and, as well. Yep. You know, the, it's, it's, it is like a bit of a one-stop shop for basically basically badass wine yeah mm. so they're a great little place to check out so do that and uh we'll catch you next week we'll still be with brendan next week and we're going to talk a bit more about shiraz because we didn't talk about it enough shiraz. this week apparently shiraz. <laughs> shiraz. and we'll uh we'll see you next time sweet as thank you Better than a rotating cast of hosts. Oh, I don't know. Maybe the obscure sport ferret legging where people put ferrets down their pants. Or Graham, the 52 hertz whale, the loneliest whale in the world. How about everyone's favourite Christian radio program, Ranger Bill? Oh, who the hell this? are you? Who the, what are you doing here? I came prepared with a 45 minute lecture on international humanitarian okay, law. Where do people keep coming all from? All these people oh, are, you know, where? Uh, we host now. Yeah, oh, we're, we're, oh. we're the new hosts. Of what? Of unfeatured articles, everyone's favourite Wikipedia-based podcast where we dive into the depths of Wikipedia to find articles that aren't necessarily featured. Uh, Check us out everywhere you check out podcasts. It's free. Podcasts are free. iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and other things. Love you. Thanks, kids. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.